Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a Q&A. We sure do, Cody. All right, we have a lot of good questions. We've been getting a lot of good questions on the Facebook group. So if you haven't checked that out, um, Tailored Life Podcast form. If you are listening to this and you want in, answer Seinfeld for Cody's favorite show, and <laughs> I will accept you. A lot of people put How I Met Your Mother. Mm. I just accepted a bunch of people don't today. Don't put How I Met Your Mother and don't put Animal Planet. I, I still am going to accept you because that tells me you're not a, a robot. Yeah. But I've never even seen How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> Unless you put How I Met Your Mother, and I hate that show. So You hate it? Uh, I've heard good things good. about it. I like that 70s show. That's a classic. Yeah. That's a good show. Ashton Kutcher's dope. He's a he's like a philanthropist now. Or what does that mean? I know he what like, it, it's uh, like I think it, like goes to foreign countries and like I mean he's just like really into charity and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But he owns like he's like invested in some tech companies too. I know him yeah, and Mila yes. Kunis does like yeah. they do a bunch of I heard him on Dude, the he, Dax what is his name? Dax Shepard? Yeah. Has a podcast called uh Oh no 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 Armchair he, uh, Ashton Kutcher has a uh a credit finance app. Yes, he does. That's it. Ryan Reynolds has something like that too, I think. Or Ryan Reynolds, I think, is part of Mint. I think Mint. he's one of, the, one of the original investors. Yeah, but Ashton Kutcher, I think, is relatively the same to Mint. Yeah. Yeah, something um, like that. Yeah. Because yeah. He, I saw him on a talk show too, and he was talking about like your credit score and investments and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he's only in that show, The Ranch. Who? Ashton Kutcher, that Netflix show, The Ranch. That's his, like, that's the only thing I've ever seen him in at all recently. Oh. He's not in any new movies unless I'm I don't know. living on a rock. What about... Uh, living under a rock. The Charlie Sheen one. My God. Oh, yeah. I can't believe he replaced that. Charlie Sheen. That's uh, weird. Um, shame on us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> two, bro- two brothers? Two and a half men. Two and a half men. <laughs> <laughs> what an yeah. amazing show. Really? Oh, my God. That was, so that was one of those ones. Like my, I remember my dad being really into it Me when Charlie Sheen was into it. And yep. because my dad liked it, yep. I immediately was like, I don't like this. Oh, I was opposite. That's not everything. Like, I listen to music now that I'm like, God, I hated this band just because my dad listened to it. But it's so good. Like, men, 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 men. Yeah, that shit is so weird. But Ashton Kutcher taking over was that's a random thing. Yeah, very I don't know if that's still Aaron. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. But he was on the Armchair Expert podcast, which is a dope podcast. Dax Shepard, who, have you ever, you know who that is? He's in uh, Without a Paddle. Oh, okay. You ever seen that movie? No. It's a good movie. With uh, <laughs> Seth Green. Uh, yeah. I think I know what it's about, but I've never he seen was, it. He was, uh, him and Ashton Kutcher did Punked. Yeah, I'd seen that show. Okay, so yeah. Dax was the other one with Ashton Kutcher that did oh, it. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, he yeah. he was also a drug addict, and I didn't know that. And so he got like sober and into health, and they started a podcast. Now he just interviews experts on random Sick. stuff or actors on last name fucking life shepherd shepherd but it's yes. called the armchair expert and it's only on spotify i think sick but i was pissed because i was looking on youtube and everywhere i wanted to see the video version of it because it's like a talk show style you know with him and other celebrities and stuff but mm-hmm. they don't do no videos yeah but so oh. good podcast for everybody listening they have nice. like some even some health and fitness people like andrew huberman and stuff like that on there so huberman yeah all right so the first question is going to be from fabine Nitty says, hi, Cody, can you please explain what is included in your nutrition program? What all does the program cover? This is a hard one because <clears throat> we'll have 30-minute conversations with people on phone calls about this, you know, going over every single 
aspect of the value ladder and every little tiny thing that's included inside of our coaching that makes it so valuable and helpful and obviously results driven. But um, ultimately, when we look at online coaching, you know, I believe there's like this spectrum, right? I like to think we're the leaders in this online fitness and nutrition coaching area or industry space when it comes to quality of coaching, but it's also why price comes with that. Now, I'm not saying that we're I think we're extremely reasonably priced, to be honest with you. Um, in fact, we're actually adding in a bunch more, which is going to cause our prices to actually increase soon. Um, but it's because we're adding even more and more and more value and access and coaching into our actual coaching package and relationship with our clients just to get them better results. We understand that money drives accountability and adherence and tools and access and support and guidance and coaching actual hacks, systems, all that kind of stuff. It just more further guarantees a result, period, right? So we're adding all this stuff in. So it's hard for me to break down what it is exactly because some of it's not unveiled yet. And I don't want to say what isn't actually created and implemented because some of our clients listen. But, um, but we're adding in some stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, there's online coaching where you have, quote unquote, unlimited access to a coach, customized nutrition, weekly assessment forms, and that's coaching, right? When you ask an online coach, what, what, do you, what is included? You get unlimited access to my email. We check in once a week. I customize your nutrition. But within that, there's so much added value just in the 24-7 access. Like just saying you get unlimited access doesn't do it, it does it a disservice because inside that there's connection, there's trust building, there's education, there's sustainability practices, there's tools and tricks and tips and experiences that we apply into what we're doing to just make those emails and those connections and the calls we do with our clients and those kind of things that much better, right? Because if you don't create connection between a coach and a client, their adherence is just going to suck. Um, sustainability of success with your body composition comes down to dietary competence, not dietary information. Mm. And what that means is I can give you all this science-based stuff and talk about macros. You can know it all in your head in theory, but nutritional competence, dietary competence is when you're actually able to facilitate all of those things consistently. You're consistently taking action. You're actually able to nonstop do the work. Second nature, it becomes a habit. And that comes after information consumption, right? So um, a big piece of this is for us is it's kind of creating that nutrition competency because we can teach you and give you information and show you, you know, what the theories are, the science method, all this stuff. But if we can show you how to tweak it, tailor it and adjust it to your lifestyle and make sure that you are consistently knocking it out of the park, that's where shit goes beyond what we can do with you in six and 12 months, right? At that point, you create autonomy and you're able to do it on your own. And that's ultimately what we do inside our coaching. We have a lot of systems. We have a lot of extras and bonus material inside of our portal, inside of what we deliver inside the coaching. Um, our certifications, credentials, and experience as a team is just unmatched. I think we have more degrees and certificates than any other company, to be honest with you, um, because we value education so much. But uh, not to mention we have a fucking doctor, a PhD on staff to back up everything we're doing and make sure that we're on the latest, on top of the latest research. But ultimately what we're doing is, is we're trying to change the way nutritional coaching is done, really online coaching in general in the industry by providing a level of service that actually creates autonomy. So that if you want to never track a macro again, if you want to never hire a coach, pay for coaching or anything ever again, you'll be able to because you spent 1% of your life with us, which is nine months, right? We don't have a nine month coaching program, but 
that's the average, right? Between six and 12 is yeah. right where we want you to stay because that's how much time you need realistically. But 9% or nine months is actually 1% of the average human lifespan, which actually works out, end up being perfectly for like an analogy. But 1% of your life to learn everything you need so that you can sustain the results you achieve for the rest of your life. Like that's really what we're after. And we deliver things inside of our coaching that does that. Um, so if you're listening to this and you're curious and, and you're like, okay, well, what is included? Get on a call with us. It's free. We don't charge for that. So click the link in the description, just apply for coaching. There's no commitment, no charge, nothing. You can get on the phone and we can really dive into how this applies to you. Because for me to just give you a blanket statement of what quote unquote coaching is, it's kind of hard to do because it's tailored coaching. Yeah. We tailor everything we do to the individual. And that's why we are who There's we no are. Norm. There's none. Yeah. Right. And everybody's different. So, um, apply, talk to a coach for free, totally. see if it's a good fit and go from there. Yeah, I agree. All right, cool. Great explanation. We will go on to the next question here and it comes from, it's an anonymous question. It says, Cody, what are your thoughts on the vertical diet? I typically don't like diets with names. Mm. I'm going to throw that out there first. Um, Keto, paleo, Mediterranean, Whole30, intermittent fasting. Yeah. (laughs) I think you can use like, so if, if we look at like, Atkins, keto, those kind of things, those are like low carb. I think low carb diets are a method and that's okay. But when you throw a name on it, 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 it implies uh, not only restriction, but also uh, a dogmatic ranking of importance. And what I mean by that is keto implies that everything that's not keto is bad. Intermittent fasting implies that eating breakfast is bad. Paleo and Whole30 imply that everything that is a grain or not eaten by ancestors is bad, even though there's studies that show ancestors were eating grains at this point in time. Um, But that's not the case. We know that. Just because we weren't smart enough to find or pasteurize dairy and shit like that when we were cavemen doesn't mean we shouldn't eat it, Mm -hmm. right? It's still full of nutrients, and and if if you're not lactose intolerant, go for it. But the vertical diet, number one, we've had Stan Everding on the podcast before. Great dude, super humble, super jacked, been on Shark Tank, so he's a smart dude from a business perspective. Um, he wasn't on Shark Tank for the vertical diet, but for his uh, coolers, he has like these uh, thermos and coolers and stuff that people can prep their meals and take it with them. Damn. Um, and he did well with it. Mm. Um, and he owned businesses before that and sold his businesses and then got into the volume space. So he's really, really experienced athlete, experienced businessman, love him. I think he's a great dude. Um and I actually really like his diet. I, I have nothing wrong with the vertical diet. I have people that follow a very similar approach. It's also very similar to a, a low FODMAP diet. But I think what you should be doing is looking at the principles inside it. I think that we actually have most of our coaches read the vertical diet at the beginning of their internship anyway, because it's a book that just has a ton of information on things that you wouldn't think about when you're tracking macros, like sodium levels, iodine levels, healthy stuff for your thyroid, like what kind of nutrients are in cranberries or oranges or uh, chicken broth and all these kind of things. And looking at body composition changes in athletic performance through the, the lens of fueling your body, obviously for nutrition, by also kind of considering and, and understanding digestive health too. So a lot of times people are bulking or eating or just trying to fuel and they forget about digestive health. And if your digestive health sucks, your absorption of nutrients is probably not going to be that great. So if you're eating in order to fuel performance and train harder, run faster, your sport, lose fat, whatever it is, you probably should be making sure you're getting the most out of the food you're eating. And the only way to get the most out of the food you're eating is to have good digestion. So 
it's a good way of looking at things like not too closely in a lens of if it fits your macros, kind of getting away from that. Still having flexibility in diet, I think is important. But the vertical diet and a low FODMAP diet can be a good uh, way to, like good thing to incorporate, a good method to incorporate while doing uh, a flexible dieting approach like tracking macros. It doesn't mean that everything that's on the vertical diet, this is the only things you can eat. In fact, if you really read the vertical diet, it's more of an inclusive diet. So it's not like saying don't eat these things. It's really saying make sure that majority of your starchy carbs are white rice and sweet potatoes. doesn't mean you can never have bread or pasta or anything. It's just saying those two are going to be, you know, sweet potatoes have more nutrients and they're typically easy to digest for people. And white rice is the easiest carb for most people to digest. And it's just straight glucose starch. It's just going to go right in your bloodstream and your muscle glycogen and allow you to train hard, right? So it's a really great fuel source for athletes and body composition trainees. Um, it tells you to incorporate an orange every day for a specific reason because people are deficient in certain nutrients typically. And so this kind of helps with that. Um, it talks about chicken broth in your rice for helped digestion. And it actually tastes really good. We do this every single night with dinner. We cook it, the rice and chicken broth instead of water. Um, it asks you to eat a lot more steak. Like it doesn't say don't eat chicken or don't eat fish. It just says steak is actually not bad for you. Red meat has way more micronutrients in it. It has way more zinc and iron, which people are typically deficient in. And it's a great protein source. So it's, it's more of an inclusive diet. And it also focuses on digestion by removing a lot of uh, high FODMAP foods. So foods that cause bloat or gas typically. Some of which I don't always agree with because if somebody's on a diet those, some of those foods are the most filling. So if I'm trying to keep somebody on a low calorie diet and I want to make sure they adhere to it, I might tell them to eat more broccoli because broccoli is super filling and it's low calorie, but you know, you get bloated and gassy yeah. with that, right? So if we're focused on digestion as well, looking at bell peppers, spinach, carrots, things like that, that not a lot of people typically encourage you to eat. Usually it's asparagus, green beans, Brussels, broccoli, which they're all great. But these low FODMAP foods are gonna—they're gonna digest easier. They're gonna be um, absorbed better. They're high in specific nutrients. Which ones are those? Uh, peppers, uh, I believe Brussels on there. Kale, spinach, um, I think mushrooms on really? there. There's a low FODMAP list that basically like is it's parallel to the vertical diet. The vertical diet is basically a low FODMAP diet, which is a digestive health diet geared for athletes. Yeah, is all it is. But um, you can take these this approach, and, and I mean even things like people. If you take, uh, if you cook rice or sweet potatoes or, or oats, or you soak oats in like yogurt, like I do for overnight oats, if you cook those other ones or you soak anything in yogurt or fermented food and you leave it overnight, it changes the, the starch molecule into a uh, resistant starch, which sounds like it'd be bad. You're resisting, but it's actually easier and more helpful on the gut bacteria. It gives you more gut, better gut bacteria and helps the digestion. So rice is actually easier to digest or sweet potatoes are easier to digest. If I cook them today, refrigerate them and then recook them tomorrow. So that process of heating and cooling and reheating is actually helpful for the digestive system Mm. or soaking your oats before eating them the next day is helpful for the digestive system. So the vertical diet is cool. I think, like I said, I don't like diets with names typically, but I think you can take a lot of principles out of it. Um, I think one of the best things about it is that it still focuses on digestive health and it, and it encourages people to have sodium in their diet. And yeah. if you're, if you're a training athlete yeah. or even trying to lose fat, you need sodium. Yeah. All right. Well, there it is. The vertical diet. Um, let's go to the next one here from Cameron Spitzer. It says, what's your opinion on genetic testing for nutrition, health, etc. For example, the 23andMe. Which markers would be good to know if you'll if you'll do these tests without a predefined package? I'm not huge on them. Um, 
there's like, I think DNA and genetic testing, um, and, uh, even geographical ancestral testing. So where is your ancestors from in the world? All those things do have an effect on the nutrients we should be primarily eating just from like what digests and is best for us and, or what are we deficient in, right? Like if you're, um, this is why like, you know, Eskimos, and people in, in there, they have to eat certain foods because they're not getting the sun. They're not getting certain vegetables yeah. like, you know. So this is why a lot of, if you look in history and still to this day, a lot of people in Alaska and places like that, they eat a lot of like uh, liver, tongue, organ, meats because they're so packed with nutrients. And yeah. you can't get those nutrients from vegetables and fruits because you live in fucking Alaska. the Antarctic yeah. <laughs> or Alaska. And it's just, they're not going to grow. Um, there's also some research that supports some of this. Like, for example, there's certain areas in the world, um, I believe like South America, I know Africa, um, but some of these places in the world, like diabetes is at a higher risk level for some of these individuals. I don't remember why I learned it in school. I can't remember what the the reasoning is, but things like that, you want to, you're more susceptible to having diabetes if your ancestors are born in certain areas of the world. That's something you should know about. Um, but when it comes to some of the stuff they're putting out now, I don't think there's enough evidence to support it because epigenetics plays such a huge role, right? So like I talked about in the genetics podcast, actually, if you haven't listened to go listen to that because it's a really good one, but we talk about um, like genetics are what you are given, but epigenetics influence, it's your lifestyle, your environment, the habits you have in which influence how your genetics respond. Mm. So, and this sounds harsh, but just, you know, bear with me and try to look at it through a positive lens. If somebody says like their genetics are bad and they're just overweight because their genetics, like my parents are, their parents were, it, it's probably not your genetics because the obesity gene, there is an obesity gene, but it doesn't stop you from losing weight. The obesity gene is, it, it makes you predisposed to potentially being like thicker, heavier set. But there is plenty of research that shows people who have the obesity gene will still lose just as much weight. It's just that their starting point at any point is a little bit heavier. Right. But that, I mean, that makes sense. If you're 200 pounds versus 250 pounds at the end of the diet, you're probably going to be 150 versus 175. You're just going to be a little bit above. You might have slower progress, but the obesity gene doesn't stop you from losing weight. Now, if we look at epigenetics, epigenetics are going to play a much bigger role of your parents, your grandparents, your whole family. Let's say if we're using this genetic cards, epigenetics are going to play a much larger role in, in your family staying overweight and avoiding weight loss because epigenetics are where you live, what you eat, how you act, the exercise. It's everything around you. It's your literally your environment and how your environment affects your genetics, right? So if you're already genetically predisposed to be overweight and then you're layering it with an, uh, the environment and the habits and lifestyle that encourages you to be overweight, of course, you're never gonna lose weight. But a predisposed person with, the, with a, more of an obesity gene can still lose weight, but they have to change their environment. Mm. So, um, and we know there's, I mean, there's millions of people who lose hundred pounds, lose tons of weight. You know, it's not impossible. It's just that your environment makes uh, the difference of how easy that's going to be for you to sustain. You yeah. know what I mean? So I think the same applies with this because um, you can definitely have some influence from your ancestors or your, your DNA and all that stuff, but your lifestyle, your habits, how you treat your, your how you cook your food, how you prep your food, how you sleep, how your stress levels, those things are going to play a much bigger role that I don't put enough, like I don't put my eggs, all my eggs in that basket of the DNA and genetic testing. I just don't think it's, I did something with ancestry.com or something like that, uh, more to see where everybody was from. Yeah. We're kind of like a melting pot. Uh, we thought we were Irish and found out we were Scottish and all that shit. So I wanted to look that up, but from a I mean, this is where they say like if you're in uh, Great Britain, Ireland, Ireland, all that, like 
potatoes and root starch, all those kind of things are going to be that they align more with your genetics and your ancestry. And there's been stuff that shows this in, uh, in like Southern hemisphere countries, more fructose. So like plantains, fruit, it's just because that's where that shit grows and you're going to be surrounded by it more. So if you're surrounded by it more, your epigenetics and your, your genetic makeup is probably has evolved to be able to digest those things a little bit easier. You know what I mean? But in a hundred years from now, it's probably going to be washed out because you know, if my ancestors are all from somewhere in Europe and I could have been predisposed to that, my grandchildren, it's probably not going to make a difference because my parents are from America. I'm from America. My daughter's from America. Her kids, you know what I mean? It's going to probably be equalized. Um, but it's interesting. I don't put enough, I don't give it that much value. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is really interesting too. I did the same thing with my ancestors. I actually did like a project with it, with my parents mm-hmm. and my grandparents. And when I was like, you know, sixth or seventh grade, I can't remember, but my grandparents like sat down with me and did that. Nothing to do with, you know, mm-hmm. nutrition school? and stuff, but it was, it was wild. For school? Yeah. I think my brother did that too. Yeah. That's when we found out my grandpa was in uh, the Hungarian Revolution War and shit. Wow. He just never told us. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I got bullet holes in my back. I'm like, what the fuck? Damn. He doesn't talk much. Yeah. He barely speaks English. But I remember my brother doing that. And then when I got into his grade, we didn't have to do it. I was pissed. Yeah. Because it looked like a cool project. Yeah. I want to take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast and shout out our sponsor, Legion Athletics, the world's number one best-selling brand of all natural sports supplements. Guys, if you're listening to this, you probably take supplements. I'm assuming you take a whey protein. You probably have some pre-workout. If you're really focused on health, you might take a, a multivitamin, a greens drink, a fish oil, whatever it is. Legion probably has it. And they are going to be using science-backed ingredients. Everything is actually dosed effectively and clinically proven. Everything is naturally sweetened and flavored. Everything is lab-tested, made in the U.S., and you're going to get a money-back guarantee. So the reason I'm bringing this up is not only because they're a podcast sponsor, but I truly value the team at Legion, and I truly value what they are doing in the supplement space. And one of the things that is really frustrating for a lot of people that come to us is trying to find a brand where they can actually get quality supplements and they can trust the result that's going to come from them. Most people just search Amazon for the best result they can find, and they trust Amazon reviewers. And don't get me wrong. If something has a lot of stars and good reviews, that's awesome. But you can also pay people to leave reviews. So go with a company that you can trust that is backed up not only by science and actual researchers in the lab doing things, but coaches like myself who have tons of experience and use the stuff on a regular basis. So guys, stop wasting money. Stop searching and searching and searching for the best product out there and just jump on Legion Athletics. They are the best and I promise you that. You can head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom and save 20% on your first order and start earning points so you can get kickbacks on future orders and eventually free products. So one more time, that's buylegion.com slash boom boom. Without any further ado, let's get back into the podcast. All right, cool. We will go to the next one. Next one comes from Anonymous Skin. It says... For hypertrophy, can you do more sets of lower reps to make up for the stimulus provided by the higher rep sets? For example, squats five times three versus three times five. Can the extra volume in the three rep set make up for the inadequate tension compared to the five rep set? Short answer, yes. Long answer is that it's not as efficient, and I'll explain. So there has been plenty of studies that show um, volume equated low rep versus high rep training, right? So people doing sets of three to five versus people doing sets of eight to 12, right? And 
chronically, 8 to 12 is like the hypertrophy zone. It's not true because when they equalize volume at the end of these studies that are 8, 12, 16 weeks, however long, the hypertrophy was the same. Yeah. So it just that's what allowed them to realize like, oh, time under tension isn't that important. And time under tension is going to be greater in a set of 8 than a set of 3 because I'm doing squats for eight reps. I'm going to be doing squats for a longer duration of time, which means my muscles under tension for a longer period of time versus three reps is going to be quick and heavy. However, the intensity of that is very heavy and it versus a lighter load and it makes up for that. So the tension curve kind of equals out. And then the volume, as long as the volume is equated, it equals out as well. So you can truly build muscle doing low rep sets or high rep sets. It's totally up to you. The reason bodybuilders still do eight, 15, 20 rep sets, more, way more than low rep sets. And the way, reason why we program higher rep sets for hypertrophy-based clients or body composition-based clients is because it's just way more efficient of your time. If I did, let's say I had five exercises today and I did four sets of eight on all of them. That seems like that's a normal program. You know, five, five exercises, let's say you did uh, four sets of eight squats, four sets of eight RDLs, and then four sets of eight leg extension with leg curl. And then maybe you finished with calf raises or hip thrusts or something like that, mm-hmm. right? That's a normal leg day. However, for me to equate that much volume with low rep sets, I would be doing at least six, if not like seven or eight sets of three on all those. Yeah. So now I go from five exercises, four sets each, to five exercises, eight reps, or eight sets each, right? Doubling, so if we look at the time it takes for me to be in the gym, I'm gonna be there way longer because if I'm doing sets of three, two things. One, I gotta do way more sets to make up for that volume. Number two, if it's only three reps, I'm going way heavier, so it's way more fatiguing neurologically, which means I need more rest in between sets so I don't get injured, which means that I'm at the gym for longer just because I'm resting longer, right? Um, and the other thing to consider is neurologically speaking, and I would say from joints, there's no, I mean, there is good research to show this because they've done uh, meta-analysis across the world of powerlifters and injury rates, and powerlifters have like the highest injury rate of any athlete. Um, so heavy, heavy lifting, it can be damaging to your joints if you do too much of it. So if I look at it from that perspective, well, if I'm trying to do as much volume as possible to grow, because typically research shows more volume is better, I would probably want to do sets that are safer on my joints and don't require as much neurological, neurologically demanding energy or fatigue, because then I can recover faster in the session. I can recover faster before I get back to the gym the next day, so on and so forth. And if you do all, if you try to get your hypertrophy goal with all these low rep sets, you're just going to be sore as fuck. Your joints are going to be achy. You're going to deload more often. Um, it's going to take way longer in the gym. So truly, it is, it's kind of one of those arguments where really, really science-heavy people will argue and show the research and show that, like, you can gain muscle in any rep range. And although that's true, you have to look at what science says versus what's practical. Mm. And what's practical is, is keeping somebody in the gym for less time. Or if you do have two hours to spend, you can do twice as much with higher rep sets, which means more volume. Yeah. So... Um, High volume is always going to be better. And I, I do think there is some value in time under tension. I don't think it can be shown in research because I think it's more uh, of a skill benefit, in my opinion. When you learn uh, to practice the mind-muscle connection in time under tension, you just have a better sense of your muscles. And if you can have a better sense of your muscles while you're training, you're going to be able to activate and use them better and take them through a full range of motion. And I think that's important for safety and just getting a lot out of your training. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's dope. So Yeah, I think like, like you said, practical is different for everybody. Yeah. And then I'm assuming you mean practical, you mean like adherable. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. What fits your lifestyle? Yeah. You know, that's where like, cause two hours might not be long to somebody, but two hours mm-hmm. in the gym might be. Yeah. Well, this is even the thing. Like we know that two to three, like a frequency of two to three times a week is best for muscle growth. Right. So it, it's probably ideal for you to have like 
an upper lower split or a push-pull legs or something like that if you want to maximally stimulate muscle growth because now I'm hitting my legs twice a week, right? But there's also people, and I've done this plenty of times, where I do an upper lower push-pull legs and I only do one leg day a week because I'll put on slacks and my fucking quads and butt doesn't fit in the pants. And I'm like, realistically, I don't train to have monstrous legs. That's not my goal here. I want to have strong legs. That's cool. Functional legs. Yeah, like I want to fit in pants comfortably and... Every pair of jeans becomes skinny jeans, so now I have to order like a size up because everything you buy that are cool is, is literally skinny or slim fit. Mm. Um, so then you can go, okay, well, yeah, two to three times a week is optimal for growth, but I mean, if one time a week is, is practical for your schedule, for your lifestyle, for what you enjoy in the gym, then fuck it. Do an extra upper body day. I've done it to where I've done like um, upper, lower, upper pull, and it's like my upper, lower days are kind of targeting, like first upper day would be like chest, uh, chest, upper back, shoulders, and biceps, leg days, all legs. And then my second upper body day would be chest, uh, shoulders, lats, and triceps. Mm. And then instead of another leg day, I do a pull day. So I start with deadlifts, which is a predominantly leg, but then I just do a bunch of back, lats, traps, biceps. Um, and that's like a really low volume leg, very high volume upper body training program. There's no, it's very unorthodox. Mm. You know, it's not according to the studies. It's not showing what the studies have documented, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is where like, I, I did a, tr- uh, a, a post on this today. Like what's the best training split full body, upper, lower push pull. Cause people like to talk in black and white terms of like, this is the most optimal for people. But if we strip apart the names, it's just principles, right? A full body has a higher frequency. Upper, lower has a lower frequency, higher volume. Um, push pull legs has a higher volume, lower frequency. Like it's just these dials of intensity, volume, and frequency and progressive overload periodization so if we strip that we can go really you can make up your own fucking split yeah you know i think i've always followed like the rules quote unquote of having like it's a push pull legs a full body or an upper lower split until i started getting really creative with the app and started looking at things and going i mean why can't i write my own split it doesn't have to follow those names because if i have something that is unorthodox but it works for the client then fuck it damn follows the principles yeah you know so totally all right so we'll uh, next one here is from Candice Flaherty. It says, when you trained clients in person, would you write their workouts for days they trained on their own? If so, was it included in the base rate or extra? This might be a coach. Uh, yes, I did. And it was included in the base rate because I was trying to provide more value compared to anybody else in the gym. Yeah. So like, this is where, to me, it's it's one of those things where I think like in this in this industry, you know, word of mouth is very powerful. And especially if you're in a company that you're at a gym and you're training people and there's other trainers there, you want to do everything you possibly can to set yourself apart to make sure that you are different and you are unique and you are adding value in a different way, which is why I created programs that would take people out of the gym. Like, okay, when you're not here with me and you're at LA Fitness, this is what you're doing or your cardio plan or your diet or, hey, you're going to update me with this update form like an online client because... I know that's going to make your results better, even though you're just paying me for being in person. Yeah. And it just set me apart. It made me full. It made my sales easier. It made people want to work with me over anybody else at the gym. And it was kind of a no brainer to me. Once I started doing, I was just like, oh, I'm just going to add value because right now what I'm really trying to do is not be rich. I'm trying to get results and fucking give people the best experience possible so I can make a name for myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when I did that, exactly what happened i did end up making more money because i ended up training more people than anybody at the gym but ultimately i got better results more word of mouth and i created more impact and that's what i was after so i think 
to me, it's a no-brainer. If you're in this industry, you should be always doing things to try to separate yourself or create more value or um, one-up the, the other people around you, realistically. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, yeah, I mean, the, no questions asked. You know, and I always just did it. It was just, just part of how I thought it should be done. Yeah. You know, that's part of why I started my own company too is because I saw what a lot of places were doing both in person and online and I just and, saw and what they weren't doing. Exactly, right? And I actually was more so what they weren't doing realistically and it was less individualization, less biofeedback and data, less science, um, more quick fixes, less long-term commitments, a lot of stuff that's hard to sell people on. But I just knew that like that's what the industry was going to lead to and look where we are now, right? Yeah. And now there's more and more software to track everything you do and your hormones, your blood, your genetics, your HRV. So data and individualization is, is it's, it's the cream of the crop right now, yeah. right? Um, with COVID came Priceless. a little bit of uh, generalization automation, right? With Peloton and Nortrek or whatever that treadmill thing is and um, ways of doing stuff like that, Soul Cycle, you know, because people still need that. But- it's always going to come back to this individualization tip. Yeah. So I saw what people weren't doing and I was like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Yep. Separate myself. Love it. All right. We got more here. One from Ander Corzom. It's a, he has two questions or they have two questions. It says, would doing 10 minutes of hit cardio every day affect muscle growth when strength training four days a week? The answer is it depends. Um, I definitely like, so once upon a time I would have said, you're going to like, you know, you do too much cardio, you're going to lose muscle. I don't believe that now. I think there's enough CrossFitters that are jacked. I think there's enough concurrent athletes who do uh, different sports, right? They do endurance style training and they also, I mean, if anybody listening knows Nick Bear, um, like that's a good example. He he owns uh, BPN, I think it is, supplements. I don't take their supplements, uh, obviously, because I take Legion, but um, but he's a good example. He was a bodybuilder slash powerlifter, I think. But he competed in bodybuilding and stuff. Dude's jacked. And he uh, just decided to become a marathon runner mm. out of nowhere. Like, I don't even know if he strength trains anymore. He just runs all the fucking time. But the dude's jacked. He didn't lose all of his muscle. And the reason he didn't lose his muscle is probably because either A, he's still doing some strength training, probably. Or B, he's just having enough protein. So when we look at muscle maintenance... All we need to make sure of is that we're stimulating muscle protein synthesis and we're delaying or removing muscle protein breakdown. The best way to do that is to strength train. That's going to spike muscle protein synthesis. Consume enough protein, which is also going to spike muscle protein synthesis. And then just make sure we're sleeping, we're recovering, and we're consuming slow digesting protein or frequently consuming protein throughout the day in order to delay or slow down muscle protein breakdown. And if we do that, we're stimulating more growth and we're or maintenance if you're not doing a lot of strength training and or if you're in a deficit. And we're... we're like putting a stop to muscle, like breakdown of tissue, losing muscle, right? Atrophy, um, keeping you in an anabolic versus a catabolic state. And I think it's just way harder to actually do than we once thought. Now, if you're in a super big deficit and you're listening to this, if you're in a super big deficit and you're doing hit cardio and strength, you're more likely to lose muscle, right? You're definitely not going to gain muscle. I think that's a difference, right? Like you're, if you're doing a lot of cardio while trying to build muscle, you're definitely going to slow yourself down from building as much muscle as you possibly could. Um, but I don't think at this point, I think it's clear by the research, I don't think you're going to lose muscle tissue if you're doing the things required in order to maintain the muscle tissue you have while on a diet, which is just eating enough protein and strength training, plain and simple. Um, and it's almost too simple that it's not that cool, right? It's just not... Like people want it to be trickier than that, but it's, you just got to eat enough protein and fucking, so for vegans, it'd be hard too, because it's harder to get a lot of protein, um, or people who aren't strength training, it's harder to maintain muscle if you're not 
it's like, you know, using it. For sure. Use it or lose it. He's got one more. Uh, I'm not. Uh, so he says, how does progressive overload work? Isn't, isn't there a point where you can't just add more weight? 100%. So progressive overload, I think most people see progressive overload as loading the bar. And if you like actually read the term progressive overload, that's what it implies. Yeah. You're progressively overloading how much weight you're doing. Um, but I would look at progressive overload more along the lines of progressively increasing intensity, effort, volume, everything. Like just it, it progressively, just progressing your, your training, period, right? So for some people, I answered this question in the Taylor Trainer group the other day when somebody was, or maybe it was a message in the app, but somebody couldn't add weight because their garage gym didn't have bigger dumbbells and they were doing like the six to eight rep range. And I was like, now it's the eight to 10 rep range, plain and simple. You know what I mean? Or, um, if it's an exercise that you can add a band, like I did those, those banded dumbbell bench presses one day, if I max out my dumbbells on a bench press and I need to keep going, throw a band around my back. It adds a layer of, of tension and resistance. That's a progression, right? It's not as easy to track because then somebody goes, you know, what did you do? And I'm like, oh, I used the, the green band, the third one on the left of the rack, you know, because all the bands aren't perfect. All of them get stretched differently. All the colors at equal different pounds of resistance. Who knows what they actually are. Whereas, or say they are. Yeah. Whereas adding load, you add five pounds, you add five pounds, you add five pounds. You can track over six months. I put 30 pounds on my bench. It's easy to track that. Or, you know, if I did hundred pound dumbbell bench press for five reps and in six months I can do a hundred pound dumbbells for eight reps. That's progression. That's more volume. In fact, I would even say that's better for muscle growth if that's your goal. So progressive overload doesn't just work. It, it, you can't put it in a box. It doesn't just work from a lens of adding load over time. And if you do that, you're going to limit yourself to only one form of progressing, your training, your body, so on and so forth. So I think you need to kind of look at progressive overload as like an umbrella term for any type of progression that you implement through periodization. Yeah. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go. We got one more here from Rachel Wheeler. It says, Cody, my dream is to work for you. Oh, that's cool. I promise I didn't write that. (laughs) (laughs) What are the requirements of coaches that you hire? First of all, requirements. This is dope. So thank you for saying it's a dream. I mean, that's humbling. Um, Get over yourself, Cody. Number two, we are looking for coaches right now. So we are actually, you know, going into 2022, going into the new year, uh, we are going to hire. So we will put a link to the application in the show notes. Um, If you've already applied in the past, apply again, because that's how you get noticed is if you keep poking the bear and you keep bugging me, um, because that means you're hungry. Uh, It also doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to get it. So if you've poked me 17 times and you're just not the right fit, I'm sorry. But we are very, very specific with who we hire. Uh, because our standards of quality are extremely high. Um, I'm looking for people who are already, if not on their way to being way smarter than me with this stuff. Like that's the goal. I'm the one steering the ship, but I want coaches that are on another level when it comes to training and nutrition period. So if that's you apply, you know, we do have some requirements. Um, Number one, some basics, some basic ones. I mean, really it's pretty open. Like number one, you have to be certified. So if you're not a certified trainer and nutrition coach, 
that's an issue. If you're not a certified trainer and you're just nutritionist and that's all you do, we work with that. We probably will end up getting you certified as a trainer as well because I think it's helpful to understand both realms on a deeper level. But ultimately, we're looking for people that you, you need to be certified already because that's just like, I mean, legally and just for the base knowledge, like you got to be certified. Um, number two, you got to have some experience. You can't come into this into our staff not actually having coached people before. You need to have some experience under your belt. Um, and number three, I think that your core, like the most important thing to me is your core values align with our brand and what we do and, and who we work with and how we work with them and how we coach and really just our philosophy in life. If you look at everybody on the team, we're all very aligned in our habits, our actions, our goals, like how we treat people, positivity, being a go-giver, all these kind of things I talk about all the time on the podcast. Everybody on the team was a podcast listener, was a client, was a mentee, was somebody who aligned with my message, my brand, my dreams. And along the way, they were like, I want to be a part of this. And now they are helping the ship sail, right? So um, ultimately, you got to be certified at least a little bit. Um, so a lot of our people have college degrees as well. So that doesn't hurt if you do have that. But ultimately, you need at least nutrition certification, uh, if not more than one. And if you only have one and you do make it on the team, you're going to end up getting more than one because all of our coaches are constantly going through education programs and certificate programs, stuff like that. Um, and then last but not least, your core values got to align with us. So, um, And I always say too, like you got to be someone I want to kick it with. Yeah. Like that sounds funny, but I mean, we all have to Just fit the vibe. Yeah, you got to fit the vibe. You got to fit the the like just how we are and how we operate. Um, and you gotta be hungry. You gotta be a hustler. You gotta be ready to work. So, um, if that's you definitely apply. Like I said, we're looking for two new interns. Uh, you would go through a three month training internship process before becoming a legit tailored coaching method coach. Uh, but there's a link, a Google form link in the description of this podcast. Click that, fill it out, bug me if you want. I want to hear from you and we'll, uh, we'll make sure that we get in touch with you if you're the right fit for us. Dope. So, yeah. Um, but that's a wrap, right? That's the last question. Yep. All right, guys. So that's it. Uh, if you like this podcast, as always, leave us a five-star rating and review. And please share this with a friend. Send them an email. Send them a text. Send them an Instagram message. Tag me on Instagram so I can share it on my story, of course. But uh, most importantly, share this with somebody so you can give the gift of knowledge to another person to help them change their life. That's what we're after here. That's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to spread this message as much as possible. We love you guys and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.